Man, all right. I, tell you, I love the book of Hebrews, and I uh, did a study through it a while back, preached through it, and it's, I think it's become one of my favorite books of the Bible. And there's a lot of stuff I want to cover in Hebrews today, but i got to keep it limited because there's just so much good stuff here. But I want to start reading in verse 22. Before I do, just kind of a little uh, context here of this passage I'm about to read. So in this chapter, he's been talking about Jesus Christ as a priest. And he's explaining how Jesus Christ is better than a Levitical priest. He's And he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And this Jesus Christ, he is a better priest because... He doesn't have the infirmities of man. He doesn't have any sin. And he doesn't have an end of life. He's one who's going to live forever. So he's explaining to uh, the Hebrew people, to Jewish people, who are probably kind of wondering, uh, you know, they've been so loyal to their traditions for so long, they're kind of wondering what they should do when these people are coming along and telling them about Jesus and telling them how, hey, some things are changing. But what he, the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's explaining how, you know what? If you want to be loyal to the Old Testament, you need to follow after Jesus Christ. He's better than the Old Testament. He's better than Moses. He's better than the high priest, the, the Levitical priest. He's better across the board. And when he gets to verse 22, we'll start reading right here. It says, By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. They had different priests all the time. Why? Because they all kept dying. Why? Because they were mortal. Alright? And so they would die. And often too, when a high priest would die, that would often kind of change some things. You know, for example, if you had to go to a city of refuge, you had to stay there until uh, the death of the high priest. But it says in verse 24, it says, but this man, talking about Jesus, because he continueth ever, because he's not going to die, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. When it talks about being saved to the uttermost, a lot of times people talk about, you know, God can save those from the uttermost to the guttermost, you know, and they usually use that term uttermost like from anywhere, you know, because of the uttermost parts of the world in the Bible it mentions. But basically what it's saying there, when he's able to save them to the uttermost, he's able to not just save them, but he's able to keep them saved and forever saved. And they'll never stop being saved. It, the work that Jesus Christ did, it saves us forever. We don't have to do anything like they did back in the day when they would have to go and make continual sacrifices and yearly sacrifices. You know, they had to regularly go and bring these offerings. It was just the constant work that they had to do to, in order to kind of uh, stay right and to do the things that were commanded of them. When it comes to Jesus Christ, when it comes to salvation, you get saved one time and then you're saved forever. And nothing can change that. Why? Because He's able to save us to the uttermost. That's what that means. And, and He's able to do that because He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He makes intercession for us. Jesus Christ is an intercessor. What does that mean? It means He's somebody that kind of goes to bat for us. Even though we're sinners, we have Jesus Christ who comes along and He says, you know what? I'll speak up for them. I took care of their sin. I paid for their sin. They're one of mine. They don't need to be under, we don't have to be under the wrath of God. Why? Because Jesus makes intercession for us and He gets us off the hook. He gets us off the hook because of what He did. And it says in verse 26, for such an high priest became us. In other words, this is what we needed. 
So what became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily, as those high priests offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, and then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. The priests, when you go back in the Old Testament, they had to do, they had to offer up sacrifice for their own sins, and then they would go do a sacrifice for the sins of the people. Jesus didn't do any sacrifices for his own sins. Why? Because he had no sins. So he was able to go and do a perfect sacrifice. Therefore, he only had to do it one time, and we're covered. We're covered for all eternity because our high priest ever liveth to make intercession for us. And that is an exciting thing. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking so much about the doctrine of Jesus Christ as, as our intercessor today. But the title of the message today is, Are You an Intercessor or an Accuser? All right? And a lot of this message, it's really about forgiveness. And I want, us to just, I want you to search yourself because I think we all have a little bit of intercessor and accuser in us. And I think we're often uh, unbalanced when it comes to that. And I believe as believers, we ought to have a Christ-like attitude of being an intercessor for people. When we understand what Jesus Christ has done for us and what He is continually doing for us as an intercessor, that ought to cause us to kind of have the same attitude with other people. And so, you know, you need to ask yourself, you know, what, which one are you? Are you more naturally inclined to intercede for people or are you more naturally inclined to accuse? Okay, And I understand there's a difference between a witness and accuser. All right? So for example, if you witness somebody commit a murder, you do have a responsibility to, you know, to testify about that or report that, uh, report that murder. Nobody would call you an accuser in a bad way. There's a good accuser and there's a bad accuser, all right? And the accuser I'm talking about, it's kind of like the devil. Right? Turn over to Job. Let me show you an example of what I'm talking about. Because once again, you know, if we know somebody's guilty of something, often we have a responsibility to say something about it, report it, or whatever. But there's a, there's a, there's a satanic way of doing this. There's a devilish way of doing this that I'm afraid even Christian people do sometimes. We've got to watch out for this. But it says in Job 1.7, it says, The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord from going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and is cheweth evil? Notice how God's saying all these great things about Job. Alright? You know, and the thing is, do any of us think that Job didn't have any faults? Alright? Maybe God just saw him that way because Job was a believer. You know, Job was somebody who confessed his sins to God and God forgot about him. All right? that, that's, that's what I think personally. But I do believe Job was a very, very good man. But then look at what Satan said. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself, put not forth thine hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And you all know the story. Job lost everything in one day. Now, what was going on here? God, is he's bringing up Job as this great guy. I mean, perfect, upright. Fears God, is choose evil. Satan comes along, and what does he do? 
He accuses and says, well, Satan only, or Job only does good because you're good to him. Look how much you've blessed him. You've got a hedge about him. Satan's saying, I can't get to him. If you would allow me to mess with Job, he'd curse you to your face. Now, did Satan have any evidence of that? No. Satan is judging Job the way Satan is in his own heart. Job's saying, yeah, you know, I would love you if you did all these things for me. What's, what's he doing? He's making the worst. He's, he's thinking the worst about Job. The intercessor, he usually thinks the best where the accuser thinks the worst. And so Satan tells God, let me at his possessions and he'll curse you. God did. But you know what? Job still prays the Lord. And we're not going to read it, but then when you go to chapter 2, God brings up Job again. Hey, I took everything. I let you take everything that he has. He still retains his integrity. And then what did Satan say? He said, yeah, but you know what? If you'd let me touch him, then he'd curse you to his face. He's, what's he doing? He's accusing. He's projecting the worst possible thought on him. Even though Job's doing a good work, Satan's finding a way to make it look bad. And he's saying, you know, he's so selfish, he doesn't even care that he took everything as long as he's okay. And then, of course, God lets Job or Satan touch Job. And Satan, as wicked as he is, I mean, he does this horrible thing, gets him, has him covered with boils, and Job still does the right thing. But just notice the way Satan accuses. And so, there is a difference between me witnessing something, knowing something for a fact, and me just accusing somebody of something that I'm just projecting on them in my own mind and in my own heart. And accusers often, they often do that. They think, they're always thinking the worst about people. Or the intercessor, they usually think the best about people. And Satan here, he was judging Job's intentions and motivations. And he made it seem like Job loved God for selfish reasons. He ended up being wrong, but that's how we are a lot of times. And you know, the truth is, none of us can know somebody else's heart, yet we often judge the motivations of others. Oh, they're just here at church today just to try to impress the pastor. They came out on a snowy day. You know, maybe they just, maybe they love the Lord. You know, why do you have to have such a bad attitude about it? You know why? Because you're an accuser. And when you're an accuser, you're going to struggle with certain things we're going to talk about. And it's a bad attitude. And so, when we, and you got to remember too, when you judge the motivations of others, all right, just understand, okay? If, now we don't have anybody like this in the church. I thank God for it. I think you know we've been successful in kind of keeping these people away. But there's there's almost always somebody in that church that's always coming to the pastor and tattling on everybody, and just you know they they are they're like the accuser of the church. All right? I call them the devil of the church. You know, <laughs> they're all, they're always wanting to accuse everybody of stuff and just tattling. And it's like these people too. They think pastors are stupid. All right, they think that you know we're just ignorant. And when when you come and if you are if you're accusing somebody of thinking bad things, you know all you're doing to me is you're revealing your heart. Okay, people who are critical of other people, all right, and especially people who come along and you know this person thinks this about me, or this person thinks that. All you're doing is telling me how you think about other people. Okay. You're revealing yourself, okay? And when you're a devil, you don't want to do that to the pastor. He'll try to he'll try to run you off. You know, he'll try to expose you and get rid of you. And so don't do that kind of thing. But that is that's what Satan does. We we need to make sure we don't do that. And so we but we can't we can't see the hearts, okay? We don't have perfect vision when it comes to these things. 
So you need to honestly ask yourself, when it comes to how I judge other people, do I have the attitude of an intercessor or an accuser? And so I think the ultimate example, of course, of an intercessor is Jesus Christ. We see an example there in Hebrews, but look what it says in Luke chapter 23. I think this passage is just wonderful, a very well-known passage of Scripture. It says in verse 33, when they came, were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the male factors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they parted his raiment and cast lots. Okay? Now think about this here. Was it not wicked when the Romans were nailing Jesus to a cross? Yeah, that, was, that was very wicked. When he's up there suffering for the sins of the world, and these people are down there gambling for his clothes. Was that not a wicked thing to do? Okay, I mean, they are in the presence of Jesus Christ who is paying for their sins, and they're gambling for his garment? That is as wicked as all get out. But what did Jesus do? Jesus Christ, being the intercessor that he is, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You realize while it was bad what they did, they didn't know what they were doing. Okay, They did not know what they were doing. They did not have full understanding of that. And Jesus understood that. And so He's asking God to forgive them. He didn't say, Father, get them. Look at what they do. He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know who else had that same kind of attitude? Somebody who didn't have you know, the same abilities that Jesus Christ did, but probably had some that were similar because this man was full of the Holy Spirit, and that's a man named Stephen. And you all know the story about Stephen. When he preached his first sermon, he ends up being stoned. And it says in verse 59 of Acts chapter 7, "...and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, "...Lord, lay not this sin to their charge." And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I mean, now, you talk about a Christ-like attitude right there. Here he is being stoned, and he says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Why is he saying that? Because they are killing a great, godly, spirit-filled man. This is something that God is not going to be pleased with. And Stephen understands that. And because he loves these people, he says, Lord, don't add this, don't add this sin to their charge. You know, Lord, forgive them of this. He's acting like Jesus did when Jesus was dying. I think that's an amazing thing right there. What is Stephen doing? Stephen is being an intercessor for these people. And so while Stephen, he can't see the hearts of these people because in reality, I think a lot of them probably did know what they were doing. Because for example, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, we know He's talking about the Romans right there because it mentions how they part His garment and they cast lots. It was the Romans that did that. The Jews, they did know what they were doing. All right? They did know what they were doing and they paid dearly for it later. We see these people here, these Jewish people, I believe they knew what they were doing, most of them. All right? But not all of them. And so notice how Stephen... He says this prayer, and you know what the Bible says in Acts 7, verse 58, right before that? It says, "...and cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul." 
One of the people that Stephen prayed for right there, that God wouldn't lay that sin to their charge, was a young man named Saul who became the Apostle Paul. You know what? Thank God Stephen said that prayer. That may be one of the very reasons too God forgave Paul for what he did. That was one of God's men right there that was being stoned. We see Jesus Christ even appeared to Stephen as he was dying, standing at the right hand of the Father. I don't fully understand the significance of all that right there, but that's an honor not too many martyrs received. I don't know of any other martyrs receiving that honor, but Stephen got it. And you know what? I believe God heard that prayer of Stephen when he interceded for the people that were killing him. And I believe God listened to that. And God ends up saving that young man named Saul who ended up becoming one of the best Christians that there ever was. And the Apostle Paul, one of the things he even mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for He hath counted me faithful putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. Paul didn't realize what he was doing when he did that. Or Saul. He didn't realize it. And thank God, even though what he did was wicked, he had a man on earth that interceded for him and asked that God would not lay that sin to his charge. And look what it says in verse 20. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So we see that God did. God heard that prayer. We see Saul later in the book of Acts. You know, he he you recognize the fact and acknowledge the fact that he had consented to the death of Stephen. But you know what? Stephen was a man who was an intercessor that interceded for the people that were putting him to death. And I believe it was a very good thing he did. I believe that played a part in God saving Saul and making him the Apostle Paul who did more to get people saved than probably anybody that there's ever been. And so thank God that Stephen had that Christ-like attitude. So when it comes to confess sin, you know, or when it comes to or an accuser, all right, so there's a few things we need to notice about accusers and intercessors. Because we've got to ask them, which one are you? I think we've all got a little bit of both. But some of us, we tend to lead more in one direction than the other direction. And we need to make sure we have a Christ-like attitude when it comes to this. So the accuser and the intercessor. So the accuser, they, they have a great memory where the intercessor has a terrible memory. Okay, The accuser has a great memory. The intercessor has a terrible memory. Look what it says in Psalms 25 and verse 6. Look at what, look what David's saying here. Now, understand... You know, God, while He's you know all-knowing, we see there are things that God says He will forget. And I don't believe it's just that you know God's got like a selective Alzheimer's or anything like that. It just means He's you know He's going to let those things go. He's not going to hold them against us. All right. If you come and punch me in the nose, I can say and you apologize. I can't. I believe I have the ability to forget about it in the sense that I won't punch you in the nose back. You know, I won't hold it against you. But I'm probably never going to forget that. Right? It'll always be in my memory, but it means I'm not going to hold it against you. Okay? So when it comes to a good memory or a bad memory, understand when people transgress against you, you know the memory will always be there. The question is, are you going to hold it against them or not? That, that's the question. An accuser, they have a great memory. They don't forget transgressions. They don't let things go. 
They remember in Psalms 25, verse 6, I like what Psalmist says here. He says, Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. So he's telling them, Remember your mercies, but then he says, Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions, according to thy mercy. Remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he, gu- will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. I like what the psalmist is saying here. He's saying, Lord, remember mercy. Don't be forgetful about that. But when it comes to my transgressions, will you forget them? And you know what? God will do that. God will forget them. He will pardon them. He'll wipe the slate clean. That is a wonderful thing about God. Why is He able to do that? He's able to do that because Jesus Christ paid for our sins. Jesus Christ makes that intercession. And so He will do that. When we ask Him to forget about our sins, He will do these things. And thank God for it. Look what it says in Isaiah 43.25. It says, I even I am He that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Thank God He doesn't remember those things. Thank God He's willing to forget sins. But you know what? The accuser, they remember everything. And you know what? They won't let you forget it and they won't let anyone else forget it. It says in Revelation 12, verse 9, this is how Satan is. It says that a great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night, and they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Satan, he is the accuser of the brethren. He is the one that's constantly accusing us. He's the one that constantly is bringing up our sins. But thank God, while we've got Satan as the prosecutor, we've got Jesus Christ as our defense, as our advocate. He makes intercession for us. And you know what? He beats Satan every time. Why? Because he shed his blood. He purchased our sins. He's cleansed us. But Satan, he doesn't forget. And you know what? There's people, there's Christian people that God has forgotten their sins, yet they can't forget anybody else's sins. They can never forget what's been done to them. You talk to these people. There's, I talk to people regularly. You've got soul winning. And I haven't been in church in years. And you hey, why don't you get back in church? What do they do? They talk about how they got hurt in church. Years ago. I mean, years and years have passed. And they can't get over something that's been done to them. They have way too good of a memory. You know what they need to do? They need to be more like God and they need to forget those things. They need to just blot those things out. They need to wipe the slate clean. They need to forget about it. That's what Jesus does for us. And aren't we thankful that He does that? Listen, all of us ought to be praying on a regular basis, Lord, forget my iniquities. Forget, forget my transgressions. For they are great. That should be our prayer. Yet, it's like we think we don't have any. You know, It's like, well, you ought to be forgetful of other people's transgressions against you because God's forgetful of your sins. It's like, what does He have to forget about? That's, that's our attitude. You know, when you do, when you realize that you have been forgiven so much, you know, it is a slap in the face of God when you can't forgive other people. 
Now, I'm not going to go to the parables on that, but we have we've been forgiven a great debt. And when we can't forgive other people's small debts, there's a really big problem. And unfortunately, that's the way many people are. And that, uh, the, the accuser, they do they have a great memory. Intercessors have a terrible memory. It's kind of like wives, you know. That's why they, husbands always lose the arguments. When, women have better memories, you know. When did I ever, you know, your husband, when did I ever do that to you? They'll break out their calendar, you know, on this day, you know, 1942, uh, you know, you, you, did, you did this and this and this. And, you know, they got documentation and everything. You know, they got the recordings, the screenshots, you know, and then it was, well, well you did that too once. Uh, when did I do that? It happened. I, I, I don't remember the date. I, I, I don't have any notes. I don't have the proof, but I know it happened. You know, that, and so you, know, you guys lose every time because women have better memories. All right? But truth is, we should have bad memories in those things. And I'm going to remember that next time I have the argument. I'm sorry. You know, I'm just being like the Lord. And I forgot about you know, I'm sure you've done it. I'm, I'm sure you've had all kinds of transgressions. I just forgot all of them. You know, I, you know, when they say, I never did that to you. And it's like, yeah, you did. I just forgot about it. But anyway... Uh, I don't know if that'll work or not. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try it out. But another difference between the accuser and the intercessor: the accuser, they want they want everything to be fair, while the intercessor doesn't mind taking a loss. Okay, you know we ought to be willing to have that attitude. We ought to be willing to take a loss. The Bible talks about too when it talks about going to court uh, between brethren and going to the judges. You know, he said, why don't you rather take the loss? So, you know, sometimes we're just better off just saying, you know what, yeah, I've been treated unfair, but I'm just going to take it. I'm just going to deal with it. Yeah, I was done wrong, but you know what, I'm just, it, it's, it's going to be better for me, it's better for everybody else if I just let this one go. We ought to have that attitude. Look what it says in Psalms 103 and verse 8. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. It means we're not getting what we deserve. It says, For as the heavens is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him, for he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. And man, there are so many things I could say just about this, but the, first off, the intercessor, they have pity, and they look at others like they are their own. He said he looks as, as a father that pitieth his children. See, we're often good intercessors when it comes to those that we actually love, okay? When it comes to our children. If it's one of your children that commits a crime, you know, you want the judge to go easy on them. When it's somebody else's kid that commits a tr- crime, you know, lock them up forever and throw the key away. That's kind of our attitude that we have sometimes. And when it comes to our transgressions and our iniquities, God looks at us like a father looks at his children. He pities us. He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. You know what he does? He understands what we're going through. And what's interesting about this, God had this attitude with man before He came to this earth to live as a man like Jesus Christ did. He still did that. He had that knowledge. He had that understanding. And He forgives us in that way. And that's what an intercessor does. They look at other people and you know what? They have pity on them. They say, you know what? Yeah, man, he messed up. 
But you know what? I can see why he probably messed up. You know, maybe they're they're going through a hard time, or he's struggling. Maybe he wasn't taught right. You know, maybe yeah, this person what they did that was bad. They shouldn't have acted that way. They shouldn't have lost their temper. But you know what? They weren't raised the way that I was raised. They didn't grow up in the kind of home that I grew up in. They weren't taught the way I was taught. So you know what? It's going to be a lot more difficult for them. And you know what? It's true. It's it's there are while you know sin's a sin no matter who does it. We need to understand that somebody who grew up in a wicked home with wicked parents, you know, that were not taught the things of God, they are going to struggle more with sins than somebody who grew up in a Christian home, somebody that was saved at an early age, that was taught the Word of God from an early age. They are going to be at a disadvantage. We ought to be able to see that kind of thing and say, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to give them a pass on this one. I'm not going to hold this against them. I understand why that's difficult. They weren't taught the way I was. That's what an intercessor does. An intercessor, it's kind of like they're making excuses for them. You know, they're, they're looking at it in the best light possible. That intercessor says, you know what, if I grew up in that kind of home, if I was, you know, raised that way, I would probably be the same thing and I'd probably be even worse. That's what an intercessor does. That accuser, though, they always look at everything in the worst light possible. And, you know, we shouldn't do that. The intercessor doesn't put high expectations on people. It's amazing the standard that we try to hold everybody to. And it's it's really amazing. You know, and many people they look at other people like as investments. Many pastors are that way. When it comes to how they minister, it's like everybody's an investment to them. So it's like, you know, I want to be a blessing, you know, I I got to go and minister to these people. Why? So they will remain loyal to me and help me build my kingdom. So they will put their money in the offering plate and help pay my salary, you know. And everybody's an investment to them. And the problem with that is what ends up happening. Many pastors that have this mentality, okay, and this was kind of the way uh, I, I was taught by people and what I heard all my life. They're always talking about investing in people, investing in people. And one thing I learned at a very young age is that people are a poor investment, okay. When you invest, all right, when you invest money. The goal is to get back more than you put in, right? Well, you know, with people, you're not always going to get that. People let you down. People stab you in the back. That's just what they do. And if we're going to look at people as an investment, they're a poor investment because you're not usually always going to get back more than what you put in. A lot of times you're going to get less. And pastors that have that attitude, these guys literally go crazy sometimes. Why? Because they're just so frustrated all the time because they're not getting anything out of people. Well, you know what? Why don't we have an attitude like Jesus Christ? And why don't we, instead of investing, how about we just give? Why don't we just why don't we just give expecting nothing in return? Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15, 9. Because I've brought this up with people before, preachers who talk this way, and this is kind of something that uh, will get get brought up, but I'll show you how this gets misused. This is the Apostle Paul talking. It says, For I am the least of the apostles that have not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they, than they all. Okay, So right there, well, they'll, they'll kind of take that right there. By the grace of God, I am what I am. You all see what I am? By the grace of God. Like we're really something. That's the way they do it. Hey, the grace that God bestowed upon me was not in vain. Look at what God got. 
You know, I was the drunk. I was good for nothing. I was on my way to hell. And God saved me. And look at what God got from His investment in me. That's the attitude. Alright? And you think I exaggerate. Alright? Y'all think I exaggerate when I make fun of camp meeting preachers. Folks, I don't exaggerate. That is the attitude that they have. And if you, and they're at you, you don't look like me, you don't measure up to me, I question your salvation. Look what God got when He gave me grace. And look what He got from you. I don't think you've got any grace. You know? That, that, that's the attitude. But what, what does it say? By the grace of God, I am what I am. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so you believe. So notice how Paul added that in there. Okay, yeah, he, Paul was doing some things, but you know what? At the end of the day, he said, "Hey, it's not me. It's just the grace of God that's in me." So this is about me. This is about the grace of God is is what it's all about. And the truth is, when it comes to me and anybody, and even the most famous camp meeting preacher out there, at the end of the day. We are all a poor investment. God did not get back more than He put in. Has anybody outdone Jesus that's gotten saved? None of us have outdone Jesus. Therefore, none of us have been a good return on God's investment. Okay? The truth is, God did not invest in us. When, we, when, he inv- when you invest in somebody, you're hoping they're going to go and produce in the forest. No, He gave us grace. He gave us a free gift. He gave us salvation. And if we do, if we produce anything... It's God's grace that causes us to do that. Therefore, God gets the credit for it. So the truth is, we are nothing more than just people who are receiving grace. All the time, we are just receiving. We're receiving and we're receiving. We're not giving anything. Anything good that's being produced in our lives is because of what God has already given us. Therefore, there's no bon- God did not get any special bonus when you got saved. Okay? You got everything, alright? That's the, that's the way it is. And that needs to be our attitude when it comes to other people. That you know what? I'm not here to invest so I can get something. I'm here to give. Why? Because much has been given to me. I'll never give more to anyone else than God gave to me. Jesus Christ gave His life. Alright? He gave, He shed His blood for us, I will never be able to give more than what Jesus Christ gave. So my attitude as a pastor and the attitude I've had since I've started this church is, you know what? I just want to give. I want to give. If I get something in return, great. If I don't, great. This is just my opportunity. This is my place where I can just come and I can give. That's what I want to do. And that that's my attitude. And you know what? So far, seven years into this, my sanity is doing pretty good. Alright? You know, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I... I mean, I'm not taking any meds. Um, my balding has not gotten any worse since I started this church. I mean, my hairline was like this seven years ago, you know. So I mean, uh, we're you, know, you got you know I don't have any ulcers or anything like that, you know. You guys are fine. And listen, a lot of pastors, I mean, are literally, I mean, it physically the job just kills them, and because uh, you know just mentally. The turmoil and all that, and so well maybe maybe I maybe I just don't have a good enough attitude or whatever. Yeah, I'm, no, I I just want to give. I want to give. I hope I get stuff in return. You know, sometimes you get ugly back, but then it's like, well, 
And that was my attitude too, because I saw so many pastors, they would get so grieved and so tore up when people would leave the church. And I, I remember when I started this church, I was like, you know what? Every pastor I've ever known, the greatest pastor I've ever known, they've had church splits and people leave their church. So why will I be surprised? Why would I be surprised if it happens to me? And you know what? It happens, and I just I try to I try to just let it roll off my back. All right, I'm not going to say it. Nothing ever bothers me. All right, sometimes stuff bothers me, but you know, I think for the most part, you know, the Lord has, you know, kept me mentally sane because I try to have this attitude. I don't want to invest. I just want to give. That's that's the attitude, and that's the attitude we need to have. We just we ought to be wanting to intercede for people. We ought to be wanting to go to bat for people. That should be our attitude. But the accuser. The other thing the accuser does, the accuser tries to collect on everyone's debts where the intercessor wipes the slate clean. Micah 7.18 says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Accusers, they are always miserable because they're constantly reminding themselves of everything that's been done to them. I know pastors that, I knew a pastor one time, he had a big split in his church, and I heard him preach a few different times not long after that split, and all he did was talk about his church split. That's all he wanted to talk about. It was like his only experience he ever had in life. Was this church getting split? And I remember I, the one time I heard him, it had been a couple years, I'm like, are you still living in that split? Hey, it's time to move on. Why don't you just forgive those people? Why don't you just let it go? Why don't you just cast that sin into the depths of the sea? We can do that. In fact, God's, God wants us to do that. God has asked us to forgive other people's uh, sins like He forgave our sins. And you know what? If I want to do that too, I believe I have the right. If somebody does something to me, I can take their sin if it was done to me and I can cast it into the depths of the sea. And I can say, you know what? It's forgotten. I'm going to move on from it. I'm not going to live my life obsessing about all that has been done to me and then bringing these things up to God and every night going to bed saying, Lord, get them. You know, I don't want to have that attitude. You know, I ought to have to be able to pray for people and I ought to be wanting to go to bat for people and intercede for people. And accusers are always miserable people. You know, Christ, He's able to love. He's able to have a relationship because He actually has forgotten our sins. He's actually forgotten them. It's not there in the back of His mind somewhere. He's not just waiting for an opportunity for us to slip up so He can bring it up again and He can throw it in our face. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't be that way either. And so God's forgetfulness of sin, it, it, it in no way takes away from the justice of God. It in no way takes away from the justice of God because... God purchased the ability to forgive sins by paying for the sins of the whole world. He paid that debt for the whole world. And as the person, as the individual who paid for the sins of the whole world, He has also granted us the ability and the authority to forgive those who sin against us. People don't have to pay for their sins that they do against us. Why? Because we have the authority to forgive those debts. Because Jesus Christ purchased that ability. And turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. I, I wish I had time to just go all the way through Hebrews chapter 10. There is so much good stuff in this chapter. 
says in verse 1, For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not uh, possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. Thou hast had no pleasure. See, before, they were constantly being reminded of their sins with these sacrifices, weren't they? Every time they'd go and they would bring these lambs or whatever offering they had to bring, it was a constant reminder of their sin. They constantly had to be reminded of it. And it was something that they needed to do. Why? Because it was impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could cleanse sin. Nobody's sins were cleansed by those things, so there was a constant reminder of it. And then in verse 7 says, Then lo, then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of book that is written of me, to do thy will, O God, Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us after that he had said before, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds and I will write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. This was always God's plan. It was always His plan. Those sacrifices were a picture of what was to come. And eventually He did. He prepared a body. He came to this earth. He made the sacrifice. After He did it, He went and He sat down and He said, it's done. We can forget about these things. We can move on. He did it once for all of us. And then look at verse... uh, 18, now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us, through the veil that is to say His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We now can have a bold attitude. We can boldly come to God knowing that, you know what? Things are good between me and Him. You know, there's people on this earth that some of us might be afraid to face. Why? Because there's transgressions that we have not got right. Have you ever seen somebody before? You knew you were going to see somebody and you, you, you all had some serious problems with each other. Maybe there was a serious transgression. And you're going to have to face that person. And you're like, you don't know if you want to face them. Because you did these people wrong. And it's a scary thing to have to face them. But you know what? When everything's good between you and somebody else, you can be glad to see him, can't you? You know, if I do, if I go and I I rip off Brother Josh really bad, you know, financially, I, I mean, I just rip him off. 
and I owe him a bunch of money, I'm not going to want to see him because I know he's going to be expecting payment. But you know what? I didn't mind seeing him this morning. I was able to boldly approach him and shake his hand. Hey, good to see you. You know why? Because there's nothing, there's nothing between us. Things are good right now. And you know what? When it comes to Jesus Christ, we can approach the throne boldly. We can go boldly before Him. We can pray to Him. We can bring our request to Him. Why? Because things are good between us. You know why? Because somebody interceded for us. Jesus Christ has interceded. He has paid for our sins. And folks, that needs to be the attitude that we have with other people. We ought to have that attitude of an intercessor. People shouldn't be afraid of us. People shouldn't be worried about all the things. You know, we ought to be interceding for people. We ought to be going to bat for people. We ought to be sticking up for people. We ought to be thinking the best about people and not constantly trying to accuse and think the worst. That is the attitude of the devil. And if you're gonna, if you want to have that attitude, go ahead. But you're going to be a miserable person. You're not going to have a lot of friends. But if you have that attitude of the intercessor, you will be a happier person. You'll be somebody who is more Christ-like. And folks, there is no reason for us not to be that way after all that has been done for us. I hope you'll, I hope you'll be that intercessor. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. I pray You'll help us to uh, follow Your example of interceding for others. Help us to think the best of people and not the worst. Help us to uh, be forgiving and be ready to uh, forgive uh, the things that are done to us. I pray You'll bless each one for it. In Your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.